This is the Six Figure Exit. We are two entrepreneurs sharing how we've shaped our lives and our businesses. Our purpose is to help you grow your business and personal excellence. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Six Figure Exit. It is episode 15, I believe we're on. I'm your co-host, Carson, here with my good, good friend, Gavin, and we are trying to make a, a video recording of this as well yeah. today so we can get this going on YouTube as well for everybody because we've had a lot of demand for that. But Yeah, I'm not I'm not one for watching podcasts. And, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I've, I've been home more with Dallas, so I think that I've spent more time um, in front of the TV when I'm feeding them or holding them. So then I, like... I'm like, oh, I'll watch Ed, Ed Milet show or I'll watch Ed Alec and Andy? Uh, I listened to it. Dude, that was, that good. was a good one. I really liked that Is, a lot. Was it on YouTube? I don't Probably, yeah. But I listened it was to that, it on. It was at Andy's garage. Oh, was it really? Yeah. I would like to watch that. Though. I don't know if it was, but that was, yeah, I think that'd be I good. listened to it on Ed's, uh, Ed, Ed's yeah, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that, a really good episode. That was a good episode. Go check that out. Ed Milet's yeah. podcast. Uh, They're really good Andy friends of ours. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna find in there next week to <laughs> actually come in here. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, that was good. So, um, how you doing? How's your week going? It's good. We've got uh, those of you in Minnesota know it is like 40s for the next week or so. We're January 26th today. So weird. 40s, and we got 50s in the forecast. So, gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. No but, snow in yeah. February. Yeah, all our snow is I don't think I've, melted. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. In January, no snow. Yeah. Like, That's, it's yeah. just so weird. Yep. So, but hopefully, honestly, like, knock on wood, it just doesn't get cold again, and we can just jump right into dirt work and early on and everything. Yeah, and, like yeah. March. Yep. That would be sweet. That would be so, nice. That's what we had a lot of the pool scheduled to get delivered April 1st, but Max and I were just talking the other day, let's move that to, Bump like, that March up. 15th or something because we got to get them in before road restrictions come on, mm. and they're probably going to be coming on pretty early this year. So How long do that? How long do road restrictions usually last for? Like a month uh, or so? Or? Yeah, it's until the frost is out of the ground, usually. Um, but, it, I mean, it can vary. They yeah. can, I think they can legally have them on for only six weeks, so they try to uh, time it right when it's going to go whatever and then the last few years they've had it on for like all six weeks it seems like so do they like actually test it or how do they yeah so mindot yeah. actually has like a big thermometer frost meter measure or something oh, okay. in the ground where they can like see it yeah okay. so they like right now there's like 34 inches of frost in the ground according to mindot or something yeah. like that as of a couple days ago so which is surprising with how yeah i was gonna say I feel like you'd be able to go out and dig it without a problem yeah a week and a half of negatives and cold it I was yeah. just like that frost. So, but how are you doing? Having a good week? Yeah. seems like, uh, this week went by, we were talking yesterday. It seemed like this week is just flying by, Yeah, but yeah, it's been a good week and getting back more into work and, uh, yeah, it's been nice. That's good. You were working on a, uh, bathroom remodel. Yeah. Bathroom remodel oh, yeah. project yesterday that we, been, it's kind of been in the works just now we're starting with tile work and, um, yeah doing a bathroom and then the whole upstairs flooring and trim. And so first time you had the work boots on in a while. Yeah. I was telling Carson yesterday, this is my first time I had my work boots on <laughs> in three months, which is bizarre. Yeah. But happy to be back in the leather. <laughs> back, back in, in the, the saddle. saddle. 
That's good. Well, I think today we wanted to talk about um, just, you know, center the show around guys that are getting into the landscaping industry. You know, if, maybe if this is your first year in it uh, and if, if you've been in the industry for a while, you know, just knowing your numbers and how important that is. This time of year, we spend a lot of time working on, you know, redoing our numbers, going through them, looking at profit and loss from last year and then seeing updated material prices for this year. Um, getting new vendor prices and then adjusting so we can kind of bid stuff off a of square foot pricing. Um, so we spent a lot of time trying to understand our overhead, know our numbers, and we thought it'd be important to share a lot of what we're doing and some of our numbers and stuff like that with you guys. Um, so hopefully you can help better prepare yourself for this season as well. And make more money. And make more money. That's what. Yeah. That's why we're in business. Well, and I think uh, part of knowing your numbers is kind of like fixing the problem before it's a problem type thing. I mean, it's it's probably a problem, but <laughs> if you can, you know, capture that issue early on and then down the road, it's, you know, it's, you're saving yourself time and money and, um, by understanding actually what it costs to operate and hopefully you have a good understanding of what you're making too. Well, and that's, I feel like that's such a big thing. Most people don't understand, like on the overhead side of it, they can go and price, you know, they know what their cost to do a job is a lot of times, but they yeah. don't understand and what a good way to break out your overhead and, you know, allocate those expenses to a job um, and how to bid it to, you know, cover your overhead. And I know, you know maybe you want to speak a little bit about LMN, just like how it kind of breaks up. I know you're a big advocate of that. I'm a jobber yeah, guy I'm over not, here. I'm not but, sponsored by LMN, yeah. but if, if they want to sponsor the show, <laughs> we'd be happy to, to hear from you. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, you can email him. Yeah. Um, but no, I we implemented LMN probably th three seasons ago, um, and I think it really changed our business for the better. Um, was that like the second year in business? I think business, it was my second or? year in business. Okay. Second or... What were you doing yeah. before that? I was using uh, Yardbook. Oh, okay. Yep. Which was like a dumber version of Jobber. No bueno? Not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, it got us by, it got me by. Are you saying Jobber's dumb then? No. I was saying Element or Yardbook is a dumber version. Is a dumber of version of Jobber. But that means Jobber's a little bit dumb. Jobber's, I think, dumber than Element. I think Element's the more advanced. Element was too too advanced for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carson got frustrated. <laughs> I quit Element. Um, anyways. Sorry. Anyways, back to my story. We implemented it probably, like I said, three seasons ago. Before, um, I wasn't great about, you know, understanding my costs and it was kind of just the, the go out there, make money and hope you're making money type deal the first couple seasons. And, um, that's not a good way to do it from experience. Not that we, I mean, we're, we're here today and we're doing all right, but just, I think the amount of time that would have saved us and money that we could have made, we'd be further ahead because of that, of understanding our numbers and, LMN does a great job of helping you build out your estimates and your proposals so that you can recover literally every single cost of your business. Like we can go through our price catalog of um, inputting the labor that we want to, you know, recover or think it's going to take to get the job done. We can put our equipment in there separately, you know, it's a, whether it's our F550 or our skid steer or excavator, that all goes in that uh, proposal separately. You can put the quantities in there of, you know, how many days or hours it'll be on the job. Um, and then you can go through and specifically put, you know, every single material that you're going to use on the project into this proposal, you know, package, and it spits out a number um, that the client sees. 
And then also like if you have subs for trucking or irrigation or, um, you know, some carpentry work, that's also something you can include in there. Um, and also like we put our insurance costs into that and we kind of just bundle, we kind of gone through, you know, what is the cost over the course of the year for our insurance. And then we kind of break it down into, um, like a daily rate that we need to charge and hit for, you know, allocating to a a project so that we Mm -hmm. can recover that cost. Same thing with like, um, just general overhead, whether it's marketing or, um, you know, other insurances like workers comp or, um, apparel or just little things that add up to kind of recovering what it costs to operate your business. Um, so like charging a daily rate or an hourly rate for whatever it costs to make sure that you're getting your numbers back. Um, and then we just plug that into each, each job. And then that spits out the big number that the clients see and they don't see all the little expenses that we have as a business that we need to charge for. Um, so I think having LMN has been a great way for us to understand our numbers and kind of, we can set a budget for the year and then um, we can kind of reflect on that with, you know, what it costs to run our business and kind of project where we're at. And then um, it's just a great way for us to get our money back <laughs> that we spend, um, you know, to make a project happen. And then um, it's also, it's nice that like the client doesn't see every little detail of what they're actually paying for. I think that's something that sometimes people can get fall in the trap of like a customer that wants to see all the little line item numbers. And um, I would say you don't need to do that. And if your client is asking you to do that, they're not the right client for you. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes people to touch on that quick, um, people will like push to see like every little detail and just tell them, no, that's not how we operate. And if they keep pushing, like then they're not the right client. But I mean, sometimes people just like to negotiate a little bit. So they'll, you know, try poke at you a little bit and see what, but just hold your ground and do your thing. But we don't use LMN. Like I was saying, we use jobber and you got a nice little spreadsheet though that you use. I do. I, and that's where (laughs) I was going. I got a spreadsheet. So maybe it's easier to use LMN in this instance because it's all in one program, all in one place. However, um, at the time that we started using LMN, I didn't like how LMN time worked. It was really confusing and it was kind of glitchy to be honest. So that's why we went to jobber. Um, cause that was important for us, but I've got a spreadsheet. And so for those of you, if you're not using LMN or you're using a CRM that isn't, uh, or doesn't have a budgeting s- system like this in it, uh, to figure out your overhead expenses, I just use a spreadsheet that Google drive actually has a template of it. That's where I got it from. And I would think they still have a template of it on there. So you just go to your sheets, um, click templates and you'll find a budgeting one. And then I went in there and like added all of our expenses from every single equipment loan we have to office admin to our phone bill, our garbage bill, shop, rent, utility payments, yep. you know, propane for heating the shop. I mean, literally everything. And then I budgeted, you know, a couple days of shop cleaning and like every little detail I try to add in there. And there's always stuff like you were saying, there's little things that you're going to miss. And so you just add like a miscellaneous, like 10 grand a year of, yeah. you know, you're, you bought a couple shirts or you right. did this or, you know, whatever. Um, but I try to break out all of our expenses that way. And then it punches out kind of a monthly, the spreadsheet's really cool, but it punches out a monthly uh, number of what you're spending each month because some months you'll spend more than other months. So you can see your cash flow on it and then you can also see what your overhead expenses 
are. And then the piece that you didn't mention, which I wanted to kind of touch on, was uh, whether it's LMN or this spreadsheet. Profit. Yeah, you got to kind of yeah. have a understanding of what you want to sell for the year in order to understand like what your overhead percent is. So with this budgeting, you want to be setting your sales goals for the year, like what you guys think you're going to be doing. Because for us, I think it's like right around 450 grand a year in overhead is what we have between um, some payroll expenses, you know, equipment loans, insurances, buyout of my parents and all of that stuff. Um, so it's like 450 grand. And then we know if we want to do, you know, say like 3 million in revenue or whatever it is, uh, that's going to be like 20% of that amount or whatever the exact numbers are. And then we know we have a 20% overhead. So when we're selling jobs, if we sell them at a 40% gross margin on profit when we sell the job, we have to take another 20% or whatever your overhead number is off of that. And that's what your net profit that you're left with at the end of the day is at the end of the year. And that can be, your overhead number might be 20% at this sales goal number. And if you're selling your projects at, you know, say a 40% gross margin, but if you don't hit your sales target number of 3 million and you only do 2 million, well, now your overhead expense went from 20% to like 30% or whatever. I'm not good at on the fly math, but you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. so your, your sales goal, you know, if you don't hit that or if it's less or if it's more, your overhead percent is going to change based on that. Well, your overhead is a fixed number. Yes. It's your overhead costs you the same. It's just the percentage of your what... Your margins are going to yeah, be different. The percentage yes. of what your overhead is compared to what your sales are actually are is what's going to change. Exactly. And that affects your net profit. So if you're making a 40% gross margin and you sell, you know, you got a $450,000 overhead, but you sell a million dollars worth of work and you got a 40% gross margin, you made 400 grand, 400 of it all went to overhead and you have $50,000 of overhead left that you have to make up somewhere. Yep. See what I'm saying? So now you got to, you know where you can set your sales goals to hit your profit margins. So yeah. that's really a critical to that is having like clear understanding of like what you want to sell and then what your margins are based off that um, for overhead. And then you can set kind of that, what your gross profit on each job is going to be. Because for us, like in Jobber, you can add like a cost to the job and it'll spit out like a gross profit margin. So when we do that, we know what our cost per square foot and stuff like that is. We'll put in, let's just use like pavers, for example, right? So if we're at like 23 bucks a square foot for cost or right around there, we're selling it at... Um, 42 to 43, 44, $45 a square foot. Yeah. yeah. Close to doubleish to be at a 50% gross margin because we know 20% of that's coming right off the top. And then we're left with 20 to 30% net margin at the end of the day that we actually make. And then it always seems like that money ends up disappearing somewhere by buying yeah, a new truck. Into 15 <laughs> exactly. And you're left with wondering why you worked all summer yeah. for, you know, but you get a cool <laughs> truck and whatever else. So that seems to be how this world yeah, works. And I think. I don't know why, but I, I think our industry specifically is like, I don't know, it might be just our society of like just keeping up with the Joneses of like, you feel like you you make a little bit of money, so then you go out and buy that new truck that you th you can afford, but you really are not at you a place that. to, <laughs> sure. you're really not at a place that you should invest $90,000 into a truck and just so you can look cool and you're going to get more, you're going to, don't think you're going to get more work because you drive a nice pickup truck. Yeah. The 2018 is just fine. You don't need the 24. No, you know, yeah, I think, for sure. I think that's the moral of that story, we, but we I will say like having nice equipment is important. Oh yeah. Good. I but agree. I mean, it doesn't need to be brand new. I mean, I'm driving a 2018 F-150 
So it's not like it's anything fancy. And it's an XLT. You know? yeah, I'm driving a 2016. Yeah, you got a, you got a Lariat, though. <laughs> you got the leather. Yeah. I've never had a vehicle with leather seats in my life. Always cloth seats. Yeah. I haven't made it to that status yet. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. know if I care. But yeah. So I think it's important to understand also setting your sales goals along with that. Um, and one of the things that I've seen people do as they've kind of grown, and I was actually talking to a few people um, the other day, just asking about their numbers. Cause I was looking at, you know, for those pavers, for example, I was like, I remember four or five years ago, we were selling pavers at 22 to $23, $24 a square foot. And I'm looking at them now and it's double that. And I was like, this can't be right. Like, how am I, are people really selling this? So I kind of reached out, asked a few people and they're like, yeah, no, that's right where we're at too. And I had a couple people or one person in particular said, no, they're like, um, you know, probably 15% cheaper, 20% cheaper than where we're at. Um, and this is where this budgeting and understanding your numbers, I think, can identify an issue in your company. Uh, their excuse was they got to keep more crews busy, so they sell stuff at a cheaper number. But between the four other companies I talked to, you know, they're between all four they're of these other the companies, same. they're like, you know, probably 10x what this company is with all of them combined. So I think if your excuse is, you know, well, I'm at this price because I need to keep more people busy, I, I think that's identifying a flaw, like in your sales process, in your you know, process of client acquisition, getting leads, all of that, you should probably be working on that if you feel like you need to be selling at a cheaper price point to get the work that you need to get. Because especially the last few years, and I think st still even going into this year, the work is there and there's going to be plenty of work um, where you're going to be able to keep your guys busy. Now, some years it changes, but I think this year we're going to be in a just fine position based on how, what we're seeing right now. Yeah. And I think part of, kind of part of, you know, guys, you know, guys and people having different companies that have different kind of, you know, numbers that they need to sell at or they should sell at. It's, it's very flexible be due to what it costs to operate your business. And I think, um, if you have a good understanding of, you know, your numbers, you're able to be more competitive, but you're also to, you're also able to truly understand what you're actually going to make on a project or, you know, each quarter or each, each year even, um, and the great thing I love about LMN is you're able to set, you know, we, if we build a budget with all of our costs in it, we're able to, you know, adjust our net profit, whether it's, you know, each line item we can change a net profit for, or we can just set like a net profit on a project. Like I want to net 30% on this project. And then it just, you know, takes all, considers all your costs and then it calculates, you know, 30%. Uh, of a net on all of your costs and expenses for the project and then you're as long as you hit your man hours and you got your materials right you're gonna hit you know that 30 percent mark yeah and i wanted to kind of break down because i was wondering what the numbers were so i had to pull out the calculator <laughs> um and i should know this to be honest but so just going back to like my example of if we hit you know three million dollars in revenue sales and we've got four hundred and fifty thousand dollars of overhead that's a 15% overhead uh, is what it costs us. So if we sell $3 million worth of work at a 40% margin, um, what is that, a 25% net profit is what we're left you with? You said at 40% gross? Yeah, at a 40% gross, so we've got a 25% yep. net profit margin. Now, just to use an example of if we sell $2.5 million and we don't hit our sales goal of $3 million or you know whatever your guys is in this case, and you've still got your $450,000 of overhead, that is, I did that wrong. 
Bear with us, folks. Bear with us, folks. You got Stillwater. First time running the numbers. So, sure. <laughs> so, so if you sell two and a half million, that's an eighteen percent overhead margin instead of fifteen now. So you went up three points. But I think so. Three percent of two and a half million, right? Correct. That's just a lot of money. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah exactly. So it's important to kind of, and that's where I mean, for us, I mean, I'll be honest. Like a lot of companies are in that 15% to 25% overhead. And I feel like that's a pretty standard, standard number depending on where you're at in your company, how many loans you have and things like that. Um, so I would say, you know, being right in that general area is where you want to be. If you're like at a 30% overhead or, you know, I would say above 25, that's where I would start to look at like, okay, we need to be probably selling more stuff, raising our prices or not having as much, overhead and yeah. trying to figure out where to cut that. Obviously the better way to do it is in my opinion, I guess is sell more <laughs> stuff and make more money, but you know, it's, it's realistic. That's how you have to look at it. And I think, so using that number in it, I'd like to look at things as more of percentages than dollar amounts. Cause that just makes more sense to me on the health of like a company, I guess is understanding like the percentages. And you, if you know, if you're within this 10% range from 15 to 25, you're kind of good and you want to keep it obviously on the lower side of that, that means you're a healthy company. Um, looking at just, you know, oh my God, $450,000. That's like, people, most people don't even make that in a year and you're right. spending that on, you know, overhead. I mean, it can be a daunting number to look at, but it's, you know, it's really just 15% of what right. we're trying to do. This comes down to so, the percentage of, yeah, this is what it costs us to operate. What do we need to sell in order to make money that we want to? Yeah. I think, so I think, I think it's better to look at it as percentages than yeah. dollar less scary. That makes more, <laughs> well, less scary. And it just, yeah. it's, it's more of a, um, I think it's a, just a better indicator. So yeah, for sure. It just makes more sense to me. But um, knowing your numbers, very important. It can be the life or death of your company. Yeah, and I think you touched on it earlier about like the connecting with other people in the industry. Like I think that can be a great way for you to understand where you're at in your market so that you can stay competitive but also, you know, not outprice yourself and be like the guy that's, way too high and nobody wants to buy from because it, they just can't, it just doesn't make sense to go buy with you. Um, and I think it's good to have that community of other business owners that are local, um, that you can rely on that aren't, you know, going to cheat you or screw you. And, um, so being able to communicate with them and kind of sharing numbers and sharing, you know, where you're at, where they're at, I think can go a long way and, um, help you really, I guess, put yourself in a good position to make money and also, like I said, stay competitive so you, you can still sell and be someone that people want to come to work with and do projects with. Yeah, and I think the whole industry needs to be a little bit more, and I think it's getting better, especially with social media and yeah. I would say the younger generation, but um, I mean, there can be some dicks out there. Like we've spent a lot of time uh, just networking with other people in the industry and building relationships with local businesses. Um, and I feel like most people we talk to are, you know, more than happy to collaborate. Like I just texted a handful of people the other day, like I was saying, you know, Hey, I just wanted to like see where you guys are selling pavers at. We're like, we're kind of in this price range and it just seems high to me. You know, does that, is that, are you seeing the same thing? And, um, you know, like I said, three or four out of the five companies all confirmed that, yeah, that's right where we're at with the one outlier, them being low, which then kind of reconfirmed like, yeah, okay. So we're right in line with everybody else. And then I think, it's good from that sense of like, you know, maybe that fifth company that wasn't, you know, that is low, if they would take the time to reach out and build a community, 
um, they could understand that they, they could, could understand that, you know, I'm missing out on $10 yeah. a square foot. And right. if you put in, you know, 20,000 square feet of pavers throughout the summer, and I know they'd probably do more like 50 to 60,000. I mean, there's a $600,000 you're missing out on right yeah. there because you're just not in tune with what's going on with everywhere else. Yeah. Especially so. if, you know, four guys over here can sell it for that price and you're over here selling it for $10 less a square foot. You, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to charge that much. And kind of what you talked about is just like the sales process or maybe just the, the value. There's got to be there. an issue there. Yeah. If you don't think you can sell it and everyone else is selling it, that's a clear identifier that you have an issue in your sales process or your salesman or whoever's selling the projects. You're not do, or you're not getting good leads. Yeah. It's, and I, and I we, we've been pricing papers at like, I told Carson like 55 to $60 a square foot. I don't know how anyone's buying yeah. that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And I was just kind of telling Carson over the last few days, we've been talking a lot about this, and I just was like, you know, I don't know that it that it matters so much about the price per square foot unless you're working with clients that are shoppers. Um, I think what it really comes down to is the value that you bring and the product that you put in the ground. And um, if you can, I think it kind of just comes down to what you can demand, supply and demand, if it's something that, you know, is you're able to get that price. And for us, I, I, it's just something that we, we build out a pro I don't really price anything based on square footage price. I price it all based on each individual project. And then it just kind of comes down to, this is what it, it breaks down to $55 a square foot, just based on the expenses and what we need to recover and what we want to make on the project. Um, and so I don't. I don't know that it necessarily. Or you want to go on vacation? Yeah. <laughs> we got to have the Florida trip, and we got to pack that into the the overhead cost. Where the second house is at. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't think that it necessarily matters what so much. It depends on what you want to do with your business. But um, I was telling Carson that it just. I think it really comes down to the value that you present to your client, and I think it just kind of sells itself. And I don't think clients really see the square footage number. Unless they're, I mean, no, I do don't. the math, which I don't think any of our clients have really done the math on what it costs per square foot. I think it's just kind of like, this is the cost of what it's going to take to put this patio in. Should we do it or not? Yeah. And then they just, you know, either agree or they don't. And um, I think that most clients that we've worked with have been pretty receptive and, you know, okay to improve the work just because they trust us and, see the process and see the value in it. Do you guys offer financing? No. See, and that's something that I never really push in my sales process personally, because I guess personally, and this is where like, this could be a whole nother podcast about sales, but 90% of the objections that you think the customer is going to have about your pricing, about your product, about anything else is objections that you would have about your, oh, it's I not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, well, that's why I was asking around. There. I was like, what are you like, I don't know if I, <laughs> but I know what the cost is and what I can go do it for. Cause I've done this my whole life. And I would look at it and be like, well, shit, like I can go build a patio on my own and on the weekend with a couple of buddies and a case of beer and we'll get it done and it'll be a great product. Cause I've done that. And but, you got the equipment. But then I go look at, yeah, and I, and I got the equipment, so that helps. But, I mean, I have the know-how and the capability to do it. But if I had to go rewire my entire house, I, like, yeah. I'd get a, maybe a couple quotes, and whoever I feel best about at the end of the day, not necessarily the price, I'd be like, yep, go ahead and do it. But I, it's not like something I would tackle on my own because I have no idea what I'm doing, and that's how you got to look at it. Most clients don't understand that. Um, but one of our sales guys, Steven, is also got some experience selling other stuff, 
and they finance projects all the time with his like past sales experience. And I know when he sold stuff for us, he's pushed actually the only projects we've ever financed. Um, we've worked with hearth. It's called some online thing where you can sign up for it and pay them probably too much. And then they offer financing and you put the stuff on your website. But the only two projects that we've ever financed were with him when he sold them. Hmm. Um, but that's like an objection, like where you could you could break out like, you know, this, oh my God, I'm going to spend $250,000 on this project. Well, no, you're going to spend 1600 bucks a month for the next 20 years. Yeah. Oh, well, 1600 bucks a month to you have the that. pool, to have the outdoor kitchen, to have this sweet entertaining space. And it's just, you know, our three grand a month mortgage that we're locked in at 2% goes to 4,500 bucks a month or 4,600 bucks a month. Like that's not so bad. Yeah. Like, so there's one way to get over that price objection right away and charge a little bit more money. Um, which is an interesting way to look at that, I guess. So that's something that I kind of want to push more of is like more financing, financing which it's harder to do now with interest rates. But yeah, for sure. For those that have, I think we're going to see a lot of people um, spending money on their homes again, where they bought this house or refinanced at a really good interest rate a couple of years ago and they want a better yard, but they don't want to move because then they lose that interest rate. So they're just going to put the money into the yard. Like COVID was great because people were at home and they wanted to put the money into their house. And now the money was free Yeah, and the money was free <laughs> and they don't want to move now because it's going to cost them more money to move than it is to just make the house how they want it to. So I think honestly, like our industry is going to be a really good industry to be in. Yeah. In coming years, even when times get a little bit tougher. Yeah. As long as you're, a good owner and a good leader you can steer the business and you know do be reliable i think is yeah and that, well <laughs> and that's what so people if you've got price if you're dealing with price objections i think the other half of that is like look at your company and like how are you set up cuz realistically i would say 90% of landscape companies not very formal it's mm-hmm. small mom and pop so if you show up and you've got you know a nice folder with your name on it you've got your material books that have like a sticker with you know your name on it and you've just branded well you got the trucks you've got the people the shirts everyone's looking good a nice website facebook social media presence you've already outdone that 80 percent of the companies out there and i think a big part of the companies that are able to do that is those companies understand their numbers 100 percent. and that's the separator from the mom and pop that just can't seem to make it or they can make it, but they just can't seem to get ahead. And the companies that really understand their numbers and how they can, you know, understand their financials so that they can use it as a tool to, you know, reinvest it in their business and they understand how much they can reinvest it in their business. Those are the separators that takes, you know, a mom and pop business to the next level of having, like you're saying, the trucks, the employees and the well-branded equipment and um, brochures and all the marketing materials. I think that's the big separator. A hundred percent. I mean, there's a reason these, uh, any company on the stock exchange has quarterly financial reports that go out to all the investors or they don't you know, go out, but they're publicly you know posted online yep. and everything else. And most, I mean, most bigger companies just have, you know, quarterly or monthly financial reports within their internal meetings and whatnot. So knowing your numbers is extremely important, but yeah, but I want to dive a little bit more into the knowing your numbers and let's just like break down, let's just say pavers. Like how do we, how do we know what our numbers are, what it costs to actually, you know, say you're newer to this or you, you're a couple of years into this and you just, you've heard other people and what they're charging and that's just what you've been charging and you don't actually know what it really costs you. How do we go in every single year um, and adjust our numbers and how do you figure out what it costs you to put, you know, a paver in the ground? 
I think for us, it's kind of a big part of it's labor, I think. Yeah. Um, and for us, in our case, it's you, we've got sub crew, yeah. sub crews that we know what they need to charge for a square foot of pavers, which is yep. great. Um, so understanding your labor costs is huge. And then also making sure that you're getting uh, your correct material costs in. So like, you know, how much aggregate are you going to need? Are you going to need um, soil separator fabric? Are you going to need um, trucking? Are you going to need, you know, polymeric sand? And really understanding the quantities of what all that adds up to be. Um, and I think that that's something that can also be missed too. Like people just don't recover the cost of like wasted material. Like you cut pavers, yeah. you're wasting material. That's you got to add cutoff. Waste yeah. Say, to say you job. got a 200 square foot patio, but it's a uh, odd shape and you need 275 square feet because you're wasted, you know, 75 squ- square feet is a lot to waste, but, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good um, one, but. but it's just that, Oh this my God, Gavin's I, got a 75 square foot patio <laughs> at his house now. How that's how that? we get the numbers out. <laughs> <That's all. laughs> um, but no, you got to really, you know, recover. I think waste is usually, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15% of your pavers, depending on what you're doing. But and if you're using big slab pavers, those like 24 by 24s, you'll have, waste. and you're, you got a, you know, circular, like all rounded edge patio. I've seen like, we've had projects that are like 25% waste. Yeah. Like you're going to have big waste on those. So like with that being said, you got to understand the specifics of the project and kind of making sure that you're recovering the cost of the additional pavers that you actually need to have on the project that you need to order because there is going to be that waste. And you can't just say, since the patio is going to be, you know, 200 square feet, I'm only going to charge them for 200 square feet, but you're actually ordering 250 or 230 square feet. Can we elaborate on that a little bit? Please do. And I want to ask you a question. (laughs) Yep. So we had a designer salesperson that I argued this point multiple times and they're no longer with us for many reasons, but this was one of them when they would, so their responsibility was to design, sell, quote the projects, they would quote projects. I would order materials based off of like the numbers they gave me. And then I realized like a lot of the stuff didn't have waste calculated into it. And what it was estimated didn't have any waste calculated into, um, you know, our square foot price of what was sent to them based on this. And the argument was they thought like you don't need to charge for you just need to charge for the material itself. But my argument was, and how we do it is, you know, say we're installing pavers for $45 a square foot, just 200 square feet, you know, is the finished product, but we had to lay 250 square feet to get there. I'm charging 250 square feet times $45 a square foot. Even though we took that stuff back up and threw it away, you're paying for it because the lay, you had to lay that paver. You had to lay 250 square feet, base out 250 square feet. The edging was the same, all of that, whatever. But you had to lay 250 square feet. I'm not charging you for 200 square feet plus another 100 bucks for, you know, 50 square feet of just material. Right. Another point of that is, like, when we're talking about waste, if you're putting down 250 square feet and you're pulling up, you know, you're 30, you know, 40 you're square feet, picking it you're back putting up. it down, guess what? You got to pick it back up because you cut it and you got to throw it away. You got to handle it again. And then it's got to go from away. the backyard back up to the front yard into a dump truck. Yep. And then you got to go get rid of it. Yep. <laughs> so there, there is a lot more cost to waste than what people, what people think. think. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, you know, the, the cost of over excavation, you know, if guys are excavating for a patio and they go yeah. two inches deeper than they should have, that's... It can be a lot of aggregate that you you need to recover. I mean, I guess I don't know. Have you handled that? Si- what what do you do in that situation? You just 
take that if cost they, if they overdig or yeah i mean like do you just is that just that cost that the, the business handles because the yeah i mean, I mean if, that, we mess, if we the messed up, up then the business. yeah if we messed up it's just yeah it's part of how it works yeah uh, so that's you got to cover that cost so that eats in your a better job that eat, yeah it eats in your net profit because yep. you thought you had this much material allocated for the project but then it turns into you know 20 yep. percent more because you had to dig or you overdig, then you got more soil you got to get rid of more stuff to bring back and in. then you got to bring in more material so then it's just like um stuff like that can really throw off your numbers on a project really quick yeah and if you you know you miscalculate the aggregate and then you miscalculate the waste and then you miscalculate the man hours and then you miscalculate <laughs> you know there's that's only a few things think about yeah. i mean it takes a lot more think about you know if you got a, a bid in there for replacing the sod on the way out because you tore up the yard and then you miscalculated the square footage of that. And then you get more time labor into fixing the yard, more material into the yard. And it's just like, it can, you can lose your shirt pretty quick. (laughs) Yeah. So you got to be very careful with your numbers. And to your point of like a simple mistake of, you know, over digging. Now you've got your more material costs, more labor costs, more disposal costs, more everything is just increased because of that. So simple mistakes like that with the guys in the field, um, can cost a lot of money. And a big piece of that obviously just comes down to training. Yeah, I was going to say structure and training yeah. of processes and how the guys understand, you know, project A to Z and how, how it should be done um, can help eliminate a lot of that cost. Yeah, for sure. Or a- added cost potential. Yeah, you know, I think one of the other things um, when it comes to that is just uh, one of the things that's been beneficial for us was starting to, and at first when we got into it, we didn't, um, we didn't really share our numbers with the guys, but as time went, we kind of realized like, why does it really matter? Yeah. It's and, a business. Yeah. So we started, <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't really matter. Cause well, and sometimes you get the people that think, you know, like, Oh my God, like you charge 60 grand for this right. project. Yeah. Like you just made $60,000 and you know, it's like, well, that's not no. how it works. <laughs> it's just not quite how it works. But um, sharing the numbers with the guys, understanding like expectations. And I know, again, back to LMN, this is like a sales pitch for them, but I like it has like when you guys quote the stuff, it has built in like man hours into it and everything. So you understand, like, you could give this job report to the guys and like, hey, you know, here's our expected man hours on the project, what we bid it for, here's the material we bid it for. And just being super transparent with everybody is going to help everyone stay on track. And what we found like with that is if you know your numbers, to a point where you can confidently share that with everybody. And it's not like, you know, every time they're like, well, this isn't even close. You know what I mean? Like, why are you even telling us this? It's not even right. But understand your numbers and share that with the people in the field. It's going to give them something to work towards and strive towards. And if you listen to our other podcasts, we're talking about taking pride in the industry. If you've got the right people and they're taking pride in their job, they're going to strive to hit those numbers and beat those numbers because humans are competitively, uh, naturally competitive in nature. And realistically, like the whole industry is like mainly men in the field, quite frankly. Um, It just is. And men want to, I mean, they're just testosterone. You want to compete. You want to do good. Most of them, you want to, you know, win. And so if they're seeing a number or a goal or something they can strive towards and beat that, I mean, that's going to make them proud of what they're doing and doing a good job and proud of the company because they feel like they're doing something good. So don't be afraid to share those numbers. Yeah. And I think to that point of sharing your numbers and sharing like, you know, being right specifically sharing a you know what you allocated for a project whether it's man hours or materials or whatever i think that some way that you could incentivize your people is by sharing some sort of profit percentage if they do hit those numbers i think that's a great way to kind of incentivize people that are in the field to actually produce 
to hit those numbers um, as long as they're realistic. Um, and I think I've, I've never personally done that as a business owner, uh, but I, I think that's something that we could consider doing in the future. It's just like if we hit our numbers, it's going to be good for you guys because you're going to get a certain percentage of the profits as long as you, you know, are efficient and as long as things go well and smooth. And um, so I think that's a great way to kind of incentivize people is, you know, I guess it kind of boils back to knowing your numbers and knowing what you need to make and having a good understanding of what it actually takes to get the project done. And as long as they can produce the work, they're going to get rewarded for it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a great way to instill pride and give somebody like something to look forward to and feel like they're really winning you know, if the company wins, I'm winning. We're all winning together, so let's work hard. Yeah, give them more of a reason and, to work harder. Yeah, to, exactly. You know. So I, I know we got a little sidetracked on the like how to like your paver install yeah. price, but <laughs> um, to get back into that, for those of you that might be newer and really want to know, but what we do is try to get, um, like you're saying, all of our material pricing and everything in our man hours. The man hours thing is going to be the most difficult for most people, right? Oh. You need to know and have experience. How long does it take me to put in? And time it. Like when you have a project, measure out a 10 by 10 area on your patio, get 100 square feet and use 100 square feet to, you know, maybe 200 square feet. Don't use 10 square feet because you're going to lay 100 square feet different than you're going to lay two square feet. You know what I mean? So use a big like test area or, you know, even if it's the whole patio, just time the man hours you have into that. It's going to be some guess and check. And it's just how it is when you get started. But time what it takes your crews to do that, set a timer, whatever you need to do. And then use that number to calculate, okay, well, four guys, we did 100 square feet in an hour, you know, cut, laid, based, everything it's done, poly sand, you know, whatever it ends up taking, who knows. And then take that and divide it out to your man hour cost. Then you can figure out, well, each 100 square feet costs us $400 in labor or whatever. I'm just making up numbers right now, yeah. right? But break those numbers down because labor is going to be the hardest one to calculate. Everything else is really easy. The labor is the, fixed pricing, yeah. Yeah. the labor's your biggest variable. Um, and it's the biggest cost. <laughs> and it's your biggest, yeah, it is your biggest cost, hands down. So like for us, when we were going through numbers the other day, what we do is take, you know, our eight inches of gravel. And again, like that's going to vary depending on soils and do you need separation fabric and whatever else. Um, and maybe you're using a different gravel. Like we've been looking at, we were just going through the other day, the cost of open graded base, um, you know, like a three quarter clear aggregate versus just class five, you know, three quarter inch minus crush material. And it was $2 more expensive per square foot to go to open graded base. And then you also have to do like that edge creep for the edging because you can't really put the nails into the open graded base because the snap edge moves around. And that was another like 80 cents a square foot more expensive or something like that to go to. So now you're 280 a square foot more, which doesn't sound like that much. But when you double that, because you got to add your margin on top of that, now you're at $5 and some odd cents, $5.40 a square foot or 60 cents a square foot. And if you're at a job site that, you know, they're getting, they are a price shopper or they're being competitive or you've got two great companies there and one's $5 and 60 cents a square foot more. Well, you need to be able to like justify that and explain, well, we're using open graded base versus whatever else. And that's part of, if you know your numbers like that, well, here's why, you know, open graded base costs more, right? right. Or something like that. You can explain that and it helps your sales process um, to win more jobs. Yeah. I, th I think, and for us, we've, pretty much exclusively used open graded base and that's probably why we're priced higher and yeah just we that's it just is. what we've done and it's easier i i've personally done a lot of you know work in the field with it and i think that the um ability to work with it is a lot easier and so i think the cost of the material itself um it doesn't really i mean it's kind of a wash in my opinion when it comes to like the man hours you put into yeah. a dense graded base because you have to do 
more lifts with, you know, depending on what you're compacting with, you have to do more lifts with it. Whereas the open graded base, you can, like we have a larger plate compactor that we can just do one lift in, that's it. And we're based in, we're ready to go and set the screed rails. And and then the chipstone, which you use as a bedding layer, I find, you know, personally, it's easier to work with as well. So it's just like, I don't know, it's kind of a preference thing for us. Um, I think it's a better final product at the end of the day. I think it's better as far as like with water management um, and just that, a better final product in my opinion. With the water management piece, I don't I like truly know about that because I've always thought, and if somebody has more info on this, like please message us on Instagram or something. But my mind always goes to like, if you create this bathtub and it's like really clay soils and you use open graded base, like it's going to hold water in that area. You're spo- yeah. So at the low point, you're supposed to kind of create a, a place for the water to go to. If the soil is pretty heavy clay, you're supposed to, you know, kind of dig out a trench and do like a drain tile, and or do something? so, or yeah, or just like fill it with gravel and then have it kind of drain Go out somewhere. Yeah, just away from under, you know, under the patio or under the wall. Um, that would make sense. Or if it's a sandy soil, then you don't have you to don't need to really worry about it. But that's and that's where like I would get to. I don't. Know. We've always done, um, and we started doing some open graded base on it. Like when we did like natural stones or some like thinner um, materials, we were doing open graded base because it was easier and it just really wanted to have because it's such like tight tolerances on yeah. everything. So, um, but I mean, like, this is going to sound like, you know, like the old school, like my dad always since the 80s, class five, and a lot of times six inches of class five. Granted, like we've got really sandy soil around this area, so it drains super, super, super well um, throughout like right where we're at here. When you get into Woodbury and it's like really clay and whatever, but um, always done class five and then wash sand on top of that. And then polymeric sand, um, since polymeric sand has been around anyways. And honestly, like when it comes to warranty claims or things like that, like we never have any issues. We've got, uh, we're just down the road from here on the peninsula, a driveway that is that exact. I mean, it's got geogrid in it and some separation fabric, but it's just 12 inches of class five and then sand clay pavers on top of that. And that was done in 2006 2008 somewhere around there and we go there every year to mulch and it's like looks brand new every single year like you couldn't tell that it was done that many years ago there's no rutting or anything from car tracks which you see a lot of times in pavers and it's just i mean it it really is like almost perfect still and Mm. so i think to be honest like if you've got really sandy soil i don't think you need to do open graded base i don't think it's worth the extra you know five to six bucks a square foot or whatever it's going to cost the clients if you've got heavy clay soil i can certainly see where all of a sudden like it makes more sense to put that in there um and maybe you just kind of bake it into your cost depending on what your warranty with the company is if you're doing three-year warranties five-year warranties and maybe you're not doing any warranty i don't know but uh, we do a three-year warranty and sometimes if you know your numbers you can start to weigh out the, you know, how many times are we returning in heavy clay soils to fix a frost heave patio or settling or something like that? Um, would it just make more sense for us to maybe eat part of the cost of going to open graded base instead of having to return for callbacks or stuff like that? Which costs can cost a lot of money. Yeah. And this is like the most demoralizing thing ever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's what we were talking to uh, whoever it was and they're saying a company, um, so LU or somebody, they just have a, I mean, they've got like a lot of crews, like big company, but one of their crews is just a full-time warranty work crew. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's got to cost a lot of money to just run that crew all summer. That's crazy. I didn't yeah. know. That's, huh. 
Well, that's why you got to do good work. That's why. <laughs> well, and it's but stuff, you, I mean, stuff if you're, happens. And if you're at a large scale, and I mean, 20 install crews, yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. <laughs> it just yeah. is what it is. So but part of the program. That, and that's like that crew is, that's all overhead. Complete overhead. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that needs to get recovered back into the projects that they're selling. Exactly. So it needs to get broken down and oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and actually now that I think about it, we don't really do a whole lot of warranty work, but that is one thing in our budget that I don't have is like time allocated for warranty work. Yeah. But we're just so good that <laughs> don't even <laughs> just, need to go back. We don't, we don't ever go back, <laughs> but no, I guess that's, that's a very good that's adding one thing that. too. Like, I, I don't think I had that in my budget no. previously. And it's like, sometimes like we had a situation where a client had a row of arborvitaes that all of them got this oh, roasted. I yeah. I think it was, and it was right next to like a, a walking path that, a pickup truck would plow and just throw yeah. snow right. And it was last summer. It was actually last well, last winter. Yeah. That they, we got all the snow and they just threw it all on these arborvitaes. Yeah. And they just all literally every single one of them died, and we had to come back replace them. And that's you guys do that for free. Yeah. Really. Yeah. That's twelve hundred dollars worth of. That's why just I, for plants twelve hundred dollars worth. And then you got the cost of the guys to go there, and then. Think about the costs that you're the opportunity costs of you're missing out on them doing productive work that's actually profitable. Exactly. Opposed to them being on this site, this job site that you got to replace all these arborvitaes because they all died. And a lot of that comes down to setting clear expectations, having good contracts, having good warranties laid out for your clients of what you will cover, what you won't cover. Um, and for us, if they don't burlap the evergreens, we won't warranty them. Really? Yep. If they die and they don't have burlap on them, they're not warranted. And we'll burlap them for you. It's going to cost you, but yeah, you have to have them burlap for the first season. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Lesson learned on that one for us. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, that's important. I, honestly, that's, you know, and that's why we called this the six-figure exit because we wanted to share our journey of learning along the way as we progress, um, you know, from six-figure income to seven-figure income and beyond. Yep. And that's a th something that we learned um, or just thought of ourselves like together right there just through discussion, which is why we do this. I um, mean, hopefully you guys did too, is we now have to put warranty repairs into our overhead costs because that's something, like I was saying, we don't have in our budgets. Yeah. So we should right. allocate a certain amount of money to just warranties every single year. All right. that and into our overhead. something that w it can be costly if, yeah. you know, if you are having to go, go back. And sometimes it's not even necessarily your fault. In my situation, like, yeah, stuff it's just not happens. fault to us that these all, literally every single arborvitae died. Yeah. Like, what are the odds of that? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where you just, yeah, it keep the customer happy or yeah, never right. talk to that customer again and you never get a good referral ever out of, you know what I mean? Yeah, like weigh your right. cost there yeah. on that. So yeah, that can be huge. It's, yeah. Yeah, in, in most cases, I feel like most people and most business owners will kind of lose their shirt sometimes trying to make the client happy and you got to kind of know when it makes sense to do that and when not to. Yeah. What do you think the biggest missed overhead expense most companies have is that they don't even realize it might be an overhead expense or they don't like in our industry. In. Yeah. In our industry. I would say people probably miss the replacement cost when it comes to like replacing equipment, replacing trucks, oh. replacing little tools, even yeah. shovels, rakes. Yep. I think that's something that, 90% of people probably miss in our industry is just the cost of replacement. And you have the cost of the truck right now, 
but what's it going to cost you to replace it? And I think that is something that most people will miss. There's like, so that's like, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because this is a good thing that we use that's free um, and you guys can use it too that are listening. Uh, go to Case Construction. I know a lot of you guys like cats and bobcats, but I like my cases. But besides the point, it works for anything. It doesn't matter what you have, right? It, they have a total cost of ownership calculator. Just type in Google Case Construction TCO or total cost of ownership and it'll pull up this thing where you have to you like punch in like which piece of case equipment it is, but that's irrelevant because the calculator works the same no matter what you're doing, quite frankly. As long as you put the right numbers in. Yeah, as long, yeah. you just punch in, I purchased this piece of equipment for $100,000 when I, I'm going to put 650 hours a year on it and I'm going to own it for four years. When I resell it, it's going to be worth $65,000. So I lost $35,000 on it or whatever it is. Um, and then it like factors all these numbers in. You put your operator costs in there, fuel costs, figure out what your gallons per hour is. Do you have def? Maintenance costs. Yeah, maintenance. You're going to replace a set of tracks, your oil changes, grease, all this you can punch in there and it'll spit out a cost per hour on the meter for that machine essentially. And for us, pretty much with a laborer or you know a, a person operating the machine, pretty much mini excavators, skid loaders, they're all around $98 an hour our cost, cost yeah. with the replacement cost baked into that with, you know, interest, you can put your interest if you're financing the machine, all of that stuff baked into it. So right there, it's a simple way to figure out, okay, each machine cost me $98 an hour. So I need to be charging X to hit our gross margin and net margins based on our overhead and everything like that. And that's actually like, that's more of how we price. I don't put machines so much into overhead, um, which I feel like some people do. And it kind of like, it's a little bit of an overhead, I guess, but I, I don't know if I would say it's really overhead. What would overhead. you categorize it as? Well, I use it as like job expenses because yeah. at the end of the day, like if you're not doing any jobs, you don't need that, that machine. Equipment. Yeah. No. So I put it, so that's where we figure it's 98 bucks an hour. And then I'll figure that in when we're figuring our labor rates, you know, a hundred square feet of pavers cost this much with this many guys and they're going to need a skid loader and they're going to put four hours on the skid loader. And so then I bake that into our square foot pricing of everything um, for each project. So do you, when you price out a project, are you pricing out if this, if you think the skid loader is going to be ran for four hours and you're going to charge for four hours, or are you going to just say, this is how much it costs for our equipment to have for the year. And then you break it down into daily rate or whatever. And then no, you just I'd, charge for the equipment to be there for that day. No, it's more so like, um, try to figure like hourly what's on the equipment. And then I allocate it to like that job. You think you can make more money if it, if he just charged like a daily rate for it? I mean, I think we'd make more money, but I also think like, and that's where like, this is like one of those, like, I think pot kettle situations where, yeah, you could make more money, but maybe you're like pricing stuff at a 40%, you know, gross margin versus a 50% gross margin. I'm like, just being more specific, we use the machine for 12 hours on this entire job site. So that's what I've allocated to it. Mm -hmm. And then I know like I'm making a 55% margin instead of if you put like allocating like a daily cost to it or something like your, your margins might change, but you make like the same amount of money at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like, does yeah. that make sense? Or it's, it's an overhead expense versus a job, like your gross margins a little bit less, but your overhead expenses more, you know what I mean? But your yeah. net at the I end of the day saying, yeah. is a little different. So your gross number might look different, but your net number is going to be the same no matter what. Yeah. Right. So, but I put it into job costs and that's because each job is, I mean, we've got like mini excavator, like you don't use it every single time. So it's hard to like figure how many days you're going to use it for. But I do know like 
if the machine's sitting at the shop, in theory, like, again, if it's, well, yes and no, but if, if we're hitting our hourly, you know, if we've figured each year, and this is where, like, it just comes down to how much data you have and how yeah. long you've been in business. But if we know each year we put 650 hours on average on each piece of equipment, whether it's sitting at the shop or not, like, yes, it costs you money, but it doesn't because, like, you know, like, we're going to hit 650 hours one way or another on that machine this year. And so I'll just allocate it to each individual job that it's on for the actual hours for that job instead of trying to, like, break it up on daily rates. I don't My mind just works better that way. Yeah. But it, the way you're talking is, I mean, you can do it that way too, and it's not really, I don't think it necessarily makes it any different, does it? No, I mean, I guess it, the thing I like about it is, is then I just, I, I just make, sh- I make sure that I'm getting my money back for that equipment being on the job site. Like, I'm essentially renting my equipment to the homeowner for it to be there that day and for us to use it. Yeah, and that I think that makes sense too. The only thing I would say is I guess my mind goes to like from the data standpoint of if I know like we plan to use this machine 650 hours a year and we're only using it 200 hours a year and then we're like tracking that on each job and like whatever, um, then you start to like ask questions like, okay, do we even need this piece of equipment? Yeah, like right. should we be, would something different be better than this? And instead of like the renting it back and whatever, I mean, I feel like it almost holds you accountable a little bit too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely, like you said, it gives you a better gauge of whether or not that piece of equipment's right for your business. Yeah. Well, maybe that's not the right way to look at it, but well, there's that's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. That's how I've done it. And I don't, it seems to work well, I guess. It's working so far. So, so it's <laughs> got us this far. So, <laughs> but there's, yeah, there's more than one way to do all this. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's there's good no to, I mean, They'll probably be, we get talked to four other guys that probably all have different perspectives too, like on how they do. I mean, maybe some similar, but just different ways to do business and make sure you're getting your money back for what you're spending. That bottom dollar. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And I think part of the overarching theme of knowing your numbers is making sure you're making money because you don't, you're not in business to be a charity. You don't want to work for free. You got to make sure that you're recovering your costs so that you can make money at the end of the day. And for the end of the year, you know, it's important to, to know that and have a good gauge on, you know, this is this is the money that I do want to make. And I think kind of working backwards of like, okay, say I want to make this much, I want to make X this year. And you can kind of work backwards to figure out what you need to sell based on what your overhead is so that you can hit your number of, this is what I want in that this year. Yeah. If you, at the end of the day, if you don't understand where you want to go and how you're going to get there based on your numbers and try to figure it out and put some effort into it. And you're just going to be the guy that's in the Facebook groups. Like, yo, what are you guys charging a square foot for pay? Or like, Oh, okay. 45 to 50. Like, yeah, all right. Yeah. I'll just be like 45 then. So that works. <laughs> yeah. Like realistically, that is a surefire way to not make money or not get jobs because at the end of the day, your expenses are going to be different, different. than everybody else's. It's just, there's always going to be variables in it. You might have more overhead. You might have less overhead. You might have like us, like you were saying earlier, we have subcontract crews technically where we just give them square foot pricing. They bring their own shovels, their own compactor, their chop saw. We provide everything else. They show up. We deliver all the materials and support design everything and they just install, and we know what our square foot pricing is for labor, and they're the variable labor cost within themselves. So we just know. So our numbers are going to be different than someone else's who has 
a more variable labor. Maybe you have less experienced guys and you, so you have more labor time. It's just, it's going to be different. So you got to take the time and this is a perfect time of year to do it. You're not plowing snow most likely. I mean, if you're in Minnesota, I guess, I don't know other parts of the country. I think the East coast is getting hit, but if you're in Minnesota, you're not plowing snow. You're not working in the ground. Most likely sit down, figure out your numbers and get in better shape this year to win and know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Trying to produce more work is only hurting you more. Yeah. If you're, I mean, if if you understand your numbers and you kind of build the foundation of understanding your budget and what your overhead is, it's just going to set up everything else to be more successful. And here's one thing that I've been terrible at real quick. And then we'll wrap this one up is I've done a terrible job, job costing throughout the year and revisiting this throughout the season. Yeah. I was going to touch on that and how we're going to kind of implement more job costing and be really, I mean, part of that's having a good team and project manager, but how important it is to have good project uh, job costing done. You got to be able to job cost and make adjustments throughout the season, especially like maybe it won't be so bad in the future here, but COVID was terrible. We had prices of things going crazy. I remember July, there was huge price hikes. Things went up 10, 15% mid season. And if you were running with the same materials wise, anyways, if you're running with the same cost at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, you've got a 15% hit on all your materials, which is probably half your cost. And so that's, you know, what, 7% less on your gross margin then if it's half your cost and yeah, yeah. give or take. Yeah. So it's huge. You got to be able to job cost throughout the year. That's probably the key biggest mistake that I've made in our company throughout the season is not job costing more accurately. Um, and that, like you said, comes down to the people and the systems and structure in place. Cause for us, the biggest hardest part of that has been getting guys to track their labor accordingly to each job. And having that data is probably the hardest piece to track. You can track your quantities easier through pit tickets, through receipts, through things like that. Your labor is going to be your biggest one. That's going to be difficult to job cost. Yeah. That, I mean, it kind of comes down to having a leader um, kind of tracking the man hours too, and just making sure that they're accurate to the job and even just even accurate to certain portions of the project too, I think can be something that's huge too. Do you pay your guys for lunch? Yeah, we always have. Really? Yeah. Gracious. We don't usually pay the guys for lunch. You have to clock out. And we ran the numbers because we had people that weren't clocking out and some people were clocking out. And I got after the guys and one of our ops managers a couple of years ago and we ran the numbers and we had 18 to 22 employees. That was something like right around that 20-ish mark of employees. We ran the numbers. If everybody didn't clock out for lunch throughout the summer, it would have cost us $25,000. If they didn't clock out? Yep. If everyone just stayed clocked in and took a 30-minute lunch every single day throughout the summer. Yeah, I don't know. I guess my thought process behind it is that they're on your project. They're at your job site. I mean, I don't know. But you're not working, brother. (laughs) (laughs) You're at work. Well, but (laughs) you're at work. But one way or another, hey, I clock out for lunch. I don't even say I clocked in for lunch. But anyways, besides the point, whatever you want to do with that, point being, know your numbers. That's just a critical piece. If you weren't planning for 25 grand of people being clocked in for lunch, and they are, that's a huge piece of it. Yeah, especially so, if you don't, yeah, if you're not thinking about it. Yeah, you got it. Then you just got to plan for it. So, I, and I would say a big part of that is just understanding the man hours per project. If you bake that into your cost of your exactly. the project, then it's getting recovered. Yep. But. I would say just to answer that question too. I know I said we we're gonna wrap this up, but I love this. To answer my own question to you of what's the biggest thing people miss, um, and I get maybe this isn't overhead cost necessarily, but it's knowing your numbers is drive time to and from job sites that gets lost 
in or equipment deliveries or equipment deliveries, yeah. um, all of that. When you've got guys going from your shop or wherever you're going to job sites and you're paying them for that time, I think that's one of the biggest, um, it can rack up. Yeah. That can rack up huge and people miss that all the time. Yeah. So that, that would be my answer to that question. Good answer. So a couple good answers there. I like yeah. that. Uh, ask me how I know. <laughs> ask, ask me how I know. <laughs> Might have some experience with that. I've got a little experience and yeah, making mistakes. That's how I learn. Yes. Uh, so, for well, better or worse. And hopefully, you know, you guys hear our mistakes and learn from them and um, we can all kind of just push forward together. Yeah. Hopefully so. this brought you some value, guys. Hopefully uh, you learned something here today. If you did, please share the show. That's the only way this word gets out and we can help many, many more people be successful. And honestly, the more successful we all are together in the industry, the better the industry is, the better um, we all look to clients. And I think we just got to help everyone out and boost this industry up together. Yeah. Thanks guys. I think this was a good one and would be a great one to share with your friends. Peace.